Uh, I just pray that God will do a very powerful work today, and please don't turn me off until I'm done. How's that? What I mean by that is in our mind, we may go, I don't want to hear this, and we just shut down. Don't do that. I believe this is a message of hope, but it's an, it's an explanatory message, and we'll understand uh, where God is coming from and why he says what he says. And I believe our culture is really struggling right now, and it's creating all kinds of problems. And so I think it's so infiltrated into the minds of human beings, like the media, the movies have really altered a lot of Christians' viewpoints, and I want to give you a biblical look at what God designed, okay? So let's pray. Father, I pray today that you would open our minds and hearts. I believe, Lord, that you want to restore us, you want to heal us, you want to guide us, you want to instruct us, correct us where we've thought the wrong way. Lord, your path of wisdom is so amazing. It's a healthy way to live. It's actually the high ground. Most people don't understand it. They don't understand its value, but it brings hope, it brings joy, it brings peace, it brings understanding. And I pray today that we'll glean all of those things. I pray today that as we walk away from here that we'll hear your heartbeat, Lord. We'll see that you're a redeeming God, a forgiving God, a gracious God, an understanding God, but also one who warns us of dangers, just like a good parent would warn a child if they were about to do something that would be damaging to them. I pray today that we would have an open heart. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Erwin Lutzer, uh, actually I had, I had the privilege of actually having Dr. Lutzer as a preaching teacher. And uh, he shares an illustration of a story that he was counseling a 16-year-old young woman who had been seduced by an older married man who happened to be the father of several children. When the affair, which had lasted for months, was discovered, he blamed her for it. She had been led along by all of those beautiful words, those deceptive words of this older man. And, you know, who could really understand the rejection she felt when it all blew up and he refused to take any responsibility for it? And yet, interestingly, she said, that happened three years ago, and I still cannot get him out of my mind. I would go to bed with him today if he were to ask me to. You say, why would this young woman still feel such an attachment to a man who had betrayed her? It's a great question. You see, psychologically, she was feeling the effects of a one-flesh relationship and that's truly the nature of an illicit relationship, or even when we're having a relationship with anyone. There's a, a bond that begins to happen, an emotional bond that happens. Don't misunderstand. To have sex is not equivalent to marriage. Marriage is protected by a covenant, and it involves a promise to live together in sickness and in health until death separates us. The covenant constitutes the marriage. The sex actually completes it. But when there is sex without a covenant, there's a psychological joining together of two people that has emotional ramifications. The result of such an affair is either guilt or a hardened conscience. You know, our world today is aflamed with sex, Warren's counselor and author, Dr. Uh, Greg Jantz. We live in a society where, uh, where sex is practiced openly, talked about freely, engaged in creatively, and flaunted shamelessly. Cultural stigmas that once kept sex within a definable boundaries have all but disappeared. Anyone can fall prey to sexual temptation or become the target of a sexual aggressor. So here in chapter five of the book of Proverbs, we have a warning that a father is giving to his son. His son, we're gonna find out, is actually married. So it's a young man. But I think that this warning is good for teens today because we are so sexually explicit in our culture today. I think we need to all hear this warning. And it's the lure, actually, in this chapter of adultery. But I'm going to just talk about the lure of using this beautiful gift that God gives to us outside of God's definable boundaries. And so I think there are three steps that will help us guard against sexual seduction and adultery because there's not a person in this room that's not immune to this. I think they're a very relevant topic. And the first one is simply awareness. 
I think we need to be reminded that these are words that were said to the naive and the inexperienced in life. And, you know, a lot of times children, I think, are at risk in this realm, and especially young people are at risk. And so there's a warning that the father is now giving to his son here in chapter 5, verse 1. In our text, we're going to see the value and security of experiencing sexual expression in a marriage relationship or a covenant relationship. And I believe that this warning, even though it's a father talking to a son, I believe that this warning is equally appropriate speaking to young women, a father talking to his daughter, a mother talking to the daughter or to the son. It doesn't really matter. You know, in the ancient time, young women were actually nurtured and kept within the confines of their home. And so, you know, I could understand why it's a father talking to a son who was actually out there probably doing business in the real world. But let's pick up the text here this morning, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. I'm not going to put it on the PowerPoint. I want you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to actually look at 23 verses here in chapter 5. And I believe we're going to learn a lot about what God thinks regarding this issue. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight. So let's just stop here and make a note. Remember the last number of weeks, if you've been attending the church, I've been talking about two paths. How many know that? Path of wisdom, a path of folly. Now he's going to begin to describe again a little bit more about this path of wisdom. What does it really require? And he says that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Speaking of lips, he says, for the lips of the adulterous woman drips honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall and sharp as a double-edged sword. So here we see the power of speech in seduction. Notice that speech is actually utilized. Flattery has a way of disarming and then seducing the unexpected person. And I think it's because you know, we all want to be affirmed in life. Isn't that true? We all want people to, to affirm us, to encourage us, to support us, to love us, to understand us. That is a very uh, basic need. That's a, one of the fundamental human needs in our lives. And so when someone comes along and affirms us for a person and never confronts anything that we're doing wrong in our life, you know, we just feel like this person, I finally found somebody who really understands me. And we notice that this is such a powerful need in our lives, and yet I'm going to say that this predator, because I believe that, you know, there are people that are sexual predators who utilize speech to actually, to, to minister to a very legitimate human need in our lives to their advantage. And so often people then are just seduced by it. And they succumb to the temptation. Uh, so we see here that kind and loving speech is used to create an unhealthy relationship that is actually, as we're going to see, destructive both to the person using those words and to the person who's receiving those words. Here in our text, the lips actually carry an idea that's even more than just speaking. Because in the Hebrew language, you know, Hebrew is a very, uh, it's not an abstract language, it's a very concrete language. And so when it speaks of bodily parts, sometimes it's, it's actually speaking of more than just the part. It's actually speaking of what the parts can do. And so it's not just the speech that's coming from this person, but also the lips we know that are, are used in, in, uh, to, to convey an idea of, as he describes it here in verse three, the woman is dripping honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Now, when you think of honey, honey is something to be experienced and tasted. And so there's this idea then that there's a, a connection, a, a physical connection here that, that this, this woman is actually giving him sweet kisses. And so there's, this is not just words, it's moved, it's a physical expression. Dr. Longman in his book says, certainly such a double entendre is active with the reference to the lips of the strange woman which drips with honey. On one level, this refers to the flattery that she employs to attract the man. But honey is a metaphor of taste. One wants to lick honey, and so the reference likely also suggests sweet kisses. The erotic nature of lips that drip honey may seem by comparing the use of the same imagery 
in a more positive context in the Song of Songs. So if you read the Song of Songs, that's actually a love poem. And it's really talking about, you know, this amazing expression of sexuality between a husband and a wife. That's what the book is primarily about. I think there's a deeper meaning to the book, but that's the, the, the top level. And we're going to see today that there's another level to what I'm going to share that we need to hear this morning. So we're seeing here that uh, there's a warning here. And, and who is this woman that the writer's talking about? In Proverbs chapter 2, in verse 16, it says, wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman. So wisdom is seen as a safeguard for us to walk in because it keeps us from deviating from this path of wisdom, which really will bring hurt and heartache and brokenness in our lives. And so one of the things that it saves us from is an adulterous woman or an adulterous man. You know, I think we gotta move away from it's just one person here, it's either genders. It says, from the wayward woman with her seductive words who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she has made before God. And so now we're getting a sense that here's a person who has abandoned their covenant obligation and has now become, we would say, a non-covenant person. This is someone who has walked away from God, someone who's doing something that they is not good, someone who's living outside of the legal and social mores of the Hebrew culture. Okay, an adulteress or a prostitute would qualify for this description according to Dr. Longman. Notice the ultimate result of this seduction. Appearances can really be deceiving. It looks appealing and desirable. And you know, that's true. A lot of, you know, it's so easy. You know, we, we, we get into a relationship with a person and we, we end up getting married. Now, we're, now we're, we're saying to this person, this is an exclusive relationship. But that doesn't mean, you know, as you walk through life. I've been married uh, this, in a few weeks, it'll be 41 years. You know, that's a long time. Yeah, that's a little while. <laughs> but what I'm saying is going through the journey, you know, there's, there's a lot of attractive, beautiful, intelligent people out there. But when we make this covenant, what we're saying is re- for, from this point on until the day one of us dies, that we're going to make you the person that I'm gonna choose and be exclusive to above all other relationships. Even though there are wonderful people out there, we can still have friendships with other people, but it's a lot different. This is an exclusive relationship. Notice what happens. Even though it looks pleasurable, it's gonna end up with great pain. There's gonna be a lot of sorrow in this relationship. Notice how he describes it. She's gonna, her, her lips that are now as smooth as oil, the words that are smooth as oil is eventually it's gonna be like gall. It's gonna be as bitter as ever. And eventually it's gonna be like a sharp two-edged sword. What does a two-edged sword do but kill and destroy? This is gonna actually bring about death rather than life. Verse five says, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly but she does not even know it. In other words, she's, she's not even aware, or he's not even aware, of where this is really taking them. They have no concept. They, they're just living life in the moment. The problem with the illicit relationship, which all sexual relationships outside of the covenant of marriage are, is that it produces death. What do you mean it produces death, Pastor? It produces broken relationships. It's gonna produce heartache. It's gonna kill, it's gonna kill and hurt. You know, alienation is going to happen in other relationships. And oftentimes, you know, when people are in a marriage relationship and they're having an affair with someone else, that's the end of their marriage. And there's a lot of pain that begins to happen in that family. You know, the challenge of children growing up in that brokenness. And, uh, you know, I was just listening to a young woman talk the other day, and she was you know, blaming herself because her mom and dad had gotten a divorce. Somehow she thought she was the problem. She was living with a lot of emotional stuff in her life. And my heart went out to this person. You know, it was not her fault. But yet she was blaming herself. Um, And eventually these illicit relationships eventually lose their excitement in the long run. You know, because how many know being married is a lot different than having an affair? You know, having an affair is an exciting sideline. Being married is hard work and taking on responsibilities. And so what we're, what we're really doing is moving towards self-centeredness, 
selfishness and irresponsibility. But you can't sustain it for a long period of time. You know, Dr. Walke says regarding uh, the darkened li- her darkened life, having chosen to abandon God in her marriage covenant and not to observe the way of life, she wanders aimlessly in moral darkness. The unfaithful wife, having no home, no future hope, staggers about in her sin. She does not know she's roaming around. This expresses her total moral failure. Looking ex- lacking external instruction and an inner conscience, she can no longer distinguish between right and wrong, and so without a moral compass to give her direction to true life, she strays to her death. It's kind of a sad thing, you know. It's basically talking about, here's a gift that God gives to us, and when used inappropriately, inappropriately leads to our demise. It is so tragic. But let me remind us that, you know, what I'm talking about is equally true between genders. Women can despoil men, men can despoil women. It's, you know, it, it happens both ways. Let me move on to the second step in escaping uh, and guarding against sexual seduction and adultery. The first one is just being aware it can happen. There's not one of us in this room that can say, well, I'm above all of this. That's not true. We're all sexual creatures. We need to understand that. The second one is what we need to do to guard against it. And I believe the Bible gives us some very clear guidelines. And simply put, we need to avoid it. You know, the best response to sexual temptation is to run from it. You know, or to create healthy boundaries so that we're not in compromised situations. Look at verse 7. Now then, my sons, now he goes to talk to sons now, it's not just one son. Listen to me and do not turn aside from what I say. Don't, don't, don't just write me off, he says. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor. Point number one, notice something's going to happen to you. You're going to lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Now, you know, in our culture, dignity isn't a big thing, but in the ancient Mediterranean culture, dignity was everything. That was the purpose why you were living. As a matter of fact, Romans, when they'd have a funeral procession, they would dig out all of the images of the the people that had died before because they were trying to live up to the image and the dignity of their ancestors. You know, there's a purpose behind all of this. He's, He's speaking to that. He goes, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. Now he's telling us there's going to be a monetary cost to this as well. At the end of your day, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. Oh, now he's talking about possibly a physical problem that may emerge from having this illicit relationship. And then you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. It says, after all of this is happening, at the end of life, you will look back with regret and say, would to God, I would have listened to the correction that was coming my way. Do you know, I believe that God will warn us when we're about to deviate from the path of wisdom. He will. And a lot of times we just ignore those warnings. And I'm just going to say there's only so many times God warns and then eventually we fall into something and then eventually, you know, we have to be extricated from it. And the only way out is through repentance. And I'm going to say that there is forgiveness even for failure because we know that's true. David failed in this area and God forgave him. So we're not saying that this is the unpardonable sin. It's not. But it is a very damaging element in our life. And as I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people, in other words, obviously, the only people that are going to correct us from deviating from this path are the people of God, if I'm a child of God. The culture does not share this value. How many know that's true? They're not going to say anything. They're going to embrace it. They're all living the same way. Now, when I thought of this, I was thinking of someone when I thought about avoidance, the first person that came to my mind was Joseph. He's probably the best example of the story. And you remember poor Joseph, he's now a slave in the Egyptian household lord. And so we pick the story up in Genesis 39 and verse six, and he says, so he left in Joseph's care, this is Potiphar, everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. In other words, I think that was his focus. <laughs> yeah. 
He was more concerned about just enjoying life and eating and letting Joseph handle everything else. Okay, verse seven. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Remember in the Hebrew economy, if you start getting descriptions, you know it's significant to the story. Joseph was a good-looking guy. And he caught the eye of his master's wife, who took notice of him and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. He said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing And then he says, and sin against God. So now he's telling us that the God whom he serves, Yahweh, sees this as a major infraction. And we're going to look at how significant this infraction really is. And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, so this wasn't just, you know, happening once. This was a continuous thing. It says he refused to go to bed with her. And then it says, or even be with her. I want you to notice that little phrase. What's he doing? He's avoiding her. He's going, I need to stay out of her realm because you know what? Every time I get close to this lady, this is what happens. And how many know that sometimes avoidance is attractive to the predator? (laughs) So she's chasing him down. That says, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. That's what I call fleeing youthful lust. (laughs) He fled, he ran. Now, I want you to know how difficult it was for Joseph just couldn't say, hey, I'm quitting this gig. I'm, I'm changing jobs. He, he didn't have that as an option. How many see that? He's a slave. This is a tough situation to be in. And even though he was a slave, he still had healthy boundaries in his life. And even though, you know, this incident happens and he's falsely accused and he's put into prison, Joseph is showing us he's a person of integrity. Why do you think the story's told this way? It's to give us the idea that Joseph was a person after the heart of God. That's why God was with him in such a profound way in his life. So how can you and I create healthy boundaries in our life? And I just jotted down three quick things. Number one, I think when we are talking to people of the opposite sex, I think it's important to talk about our family relationships in a positive and loving way. You know, most affairs, what's happening is somebody's complaining about their spouse, right? And the other person is listening and being supportive. And that's a very dangerous place to get into. But when people know that you are happy with your marriage, you're happy with your family, you're happy with your spouse, you are actually creating a barrier in pursuing the wrong kind of relationship. Number two, watching the nature of our words. You know, a lot of people are flirts. How many know that's true? And we cannot be flirtatious because that's dangerous and oftentimes they start crossing healthy boundaries. So let's not do that. Number three, as much as possible, make sure there are other people around. Try not to, you know, work late hours with one individual, everybody else is gone. That's a recipe for disaster, right? I mean, we have to use a little wisdom here, and I'm just saying we should have some sort of healthy boundaries. So knowing that sex is such a powerful human expression, we need to avoid becoming entangled in illicit sexual relationships, which the Bible teaches us as anything outside of the scope of marriage. Now, listen to what the book of Hebrews says. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will do what? He will judge the adulterer, that's somebody who's married and who's unfaithful to their spouse, and all sexual immorality. Why does he add that? Because he's saying even though you're single, you can't have sex with other single people. I know our culture thinks it's okay, but it's not. Our bodies are the temple of God. And so God is calling us to be celibate, to be married, in a sense, at that stage, We are literally married to God, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But Erwin Lutzer, you know, as I was looking at a sermon he entitled, Thou Shall Not Commit Adultery, he brings out a very interesting statement, or a few of them, and I noted them down. He said, when you you commit adultery, you're actually breaking five of the Ten Commandments. 
That's pretty significant. And this is what he says. Let's consider the commandments an adulterer breaks. The first says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one, right? But an adulterer says that there is a relationship that's more important to me than my relationship with God. And that's with this other person. So I'm breaking the first and greatest commandment, number one. Okay, number two. What about the commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness or give false testimony or lie? An adulterer is actually breaking their vow before God and virtually lies generally, usually, to cover up their sin, right? Number three, thou shalt not steal. How many know when David was caught you know, with Bathsheba, Nathan comes along and it says, you've stolen your neighbor's wife, so you're stealing. Number four, thou shalt not covet. That's the last commandment. Coveting means desiring something that, shouldn't, that you and I have no right to. And covetousness is a major problem in all of our lives. It's, you know, can I just say this? If we're content, it's hard to be tempted. Amen. And so we need to learn to be contented in our lives. And you go, well, I don't know. I'm not contented, Pastor. I'll go back to Philippians. Here's the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Even if we're in a difficult situation, we can learn to say, you know what, Lord? You are with me. Therefore, I'm gonna find strength from you and I'm gonna learn to be content in this situation. And I think it's important we get to that point in our lives and say, you know, God, you've really blessed my life. You know, everybody's life is different. Everybody is experiencing different things. Everybody has different gifts and different challenges. But we need to learn to say, God, I am so thankful for what you have brought in my life even though there may be a few challenges once in a while. And then finally, we return to the seventh commandment, which explicitly says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Perhaps now we can understand why adultery is such a serious thing, because you really have to shake your fist in God's face in order to have the relationship. When God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, it was not because he was against sex, but because he believed sex was so good, he wanted to protect it from being misused. That's what we need to understand. Now, can God forgive us? Of course he can. You know, David was forgiven, right? Can God forgive us from this sin? Absolutely. But it also has terrible consequences. Often I, you know, I deal with people, failed marriages, children who live with the scars of their parents' divorce, even until adult years. Let me tell you, there's some amazing books out there that'll tell you that. They've done research on children of divorce 25 and 40 years you know, later in their lives and they're still being affected. But for the grace of God, you know, I have to be honest, my mom and dad got a divorce and I saw what happened in my family as a result and I had to forgive my father and I had to forgive my mother. It was a big thing in my life and I can still remember when, you know, more than one time asking and at the end talking to my dad and working through unforgiveness in my heart towards him because of what had transpired, you know, because I saw what was going on. I was the oldest. I, was, I experienced things I shouldn't have experienced in my life. I saw things I shouldn't have saw, and I had, I had hurt and bitterness in my heart that had to be worked through as a, as a child of, of a divorce. And, you know, a lot of times divorced children struggle with intimacy and trust issues, so when people say, you know, you know we're, we're really doing this for the well-being of our kids because we're fighting all the time, I'm going to tell you something. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's better to have, you know, them seeing that you're working through issues. I would say, Dave, if you're going to have an argument, go in the other room, close the door, put the kids to bed, make sure they're sleeping, and then talk it out, you know? But a lot of people don't have that kind of self-control. But I think the Bible teaches us we need to learn to have self-control. And then on a personal level, it has fin huge financial implications, as verse 10 says. Strangers are now benefiting from our resources. Think of the court costs, lawyer's fees. The wounded spouse moves on, remarries a stranger that gains from alimony payments and child support costs. That's all reality in these situations. And then there's the danger of the physical, the contractual the contracting of sexually transmitted disease which are easily passed on when people have many sexual relationships. I don't know if you're aware right now, Alberta right now is in an epidemic. You know, 
Alberta has an epidemic of sexually transmitted diseases in our province right now. And what a lot of people don't understand is you can treat them, but you can't cure them. And it's really sad, you know, when people are dying of things and very terrible things like syphilis. What a terrible disease. And it can destroy people's minds. And it does do that. But a lot of us, we're not thinking along these lines. We're just busy doing our thing and we don't realize. But yet the scriptures are warning us against those things. When we ignore God's warning from the word of God, we fall into all types of sins. Listen to chapter six. I'm gonna skip parts of chapter six because it's actually talking about what I'm talking about now. It says, for this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. How many many hear what that's saying? That I have to be willing to accept correction if I'm gonna walk in wisdom. Does anybody know that's true? See, we don't like that. Our culture does not wanna be corrected on anything. How many say that's true right now? And we're offended by everything. It's the truth. And I'm saying that's because people want to live in their sin. And they're going to die in their sin. I can guarantee you. But if you want to walk in wisdom, you have to accept correction. And you have to be instructed. Keeping you from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman, I put man, because I think it goes both ways. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. So there's a physical connection there. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread. In other words, that's not good either. But it's a lot less costly than taking another man's wife because then that's going to be your very life, it says. That's very powerful. You know, I don't know, about six months ago, I was reading in Proverbs. I've spent a lot of times in Proverbs, but I had this proverb hit me with such impact. Look what Proverbs 22, 14 says. The mouth of an adulterous woman is a deep pit. A man who is under the Lord's wrath falls into it. Wow. What does that say? You know, I'm I'm gonna say a couple things here. A lot of people who walk with arrogance and pride and belligerence and are really not doing what God wants, God goes, fine, I'll let you walk into that trap. And I wonder sometimes if leaders, political leaders, spiritual leaders, bosses fall into that trap because they have the wrong heart attitude. What is this warning you of? It warns me, walk with humility. Walk with deep dependence. Walk with trusting in God. Listen to what God's word says. You know, a lot of Christians, we read our Bible, we we try to make it say what we want it to say because it's what we want to hear. Listen, why don't we just read the word of God and take the meaning for what it says and say, hey, this is a warning. I put a note to myself in my journal. Note to self. I have them all over my journal. Note. This is a note to myself. I'm going, hey, listen, if I'm under God's wrath, this could be a pit I could fall into. And so I need to pay attention to that. All right, let me move on to the final step that guards against sexual seduction and and adultery. I think we need to learn to appreciate our spouse. Thank you, Leonard. I appreciate that. I think we need to learn to value the person God brought into our life. Good. I'm hearing some over here. Thank you, Kelly. Was that you? Oh. Just nudge him there, Marsha. Get with it, Kelly. <laughs> you know, if we're a, you know, a lot of times you say, well, this doesn't apply to me, I'm a single person. Oh, yes, it does. And I'm gonna tell you why it applies to you. We have to understand that you and I have an exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. And until we're married, we will remain celibate, which means we're not gonna have, a, we're not gonna have sex outside of marriage. And that's not abnormal. I, I just want you to know our culture's wrong on this. There's n- a lot of people have lived a celibate life. Listen to what Paul writes to the Thessalonians. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. That sounds like my point number one, of avoid. Well, that's point number two, avoid, right? That each of you should learn to control your own body. Oh, self-control. That's, by the way, one of the fruit of the Spirit. We've got to learn to control our bodies. Actually, you know, if we get married just because we can't control our bodies, that's a bad reason for getting married. Because you're going to have to learn to have self-control. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, 
the truth. It's going to happen. You're going to have to learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. See, the Bible recognizes that this standard is beyond the average person. This is, I don't expect people that are non-Christians to behave like Christians. I never get surprised by their behavior. I go, that's just the sinful nature. But in the church, when I've given my life to Christ and the Spirit of God comes into me, and there's a power in my life that I never had before, and God's telling me to do this, if God tells me to do something, folks, you and I have the power to do it. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of her brother or sister. Listen, if we're committing sexual immorality, we're wronging the other person. Gotten quiet now. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. Paul, you're warning us. How many get a sense the Bible actually has a lot of warnings? Does anybody notice that? Do you know Paul said as an apostle, he said at the end, he said, I warned, I taught, instructed, and warned you day and night. Do you know what the problem in the church world is today? As pastors, we're the problem. Do we warn our congregations? I'm doing that. You know why I'm doing it? Because I got to answer to God. God says, listen, I had a message. Did you tell people that this was going to be a problem? Yes, Lord, I told them now. You're a witness. I'm telling you. This is a warning. Yeah, you got to listen to it. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a what? A holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instructions does not reject a human being. I don't agree with you, Pastor. I, that's fine. <laughs> You're rejecting God. Because this is God's word, not mine. The very God who gives you his, what? His Holy Spirit. Then he goes on, be faithful to your spouse. Look at verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. How do you like the way he describes a relationship with your wife? You know, This is what he's doing. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Question mark. Of course not. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. What does this mean? In other words, find sexual expression with your own spouse. Marriage is an exclusive relationship. How do we know that? Look at verse 18. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Mm -hmm. How many guys are going, I want a newer model? <laughs> I'm just pointing this out. God goes, no, 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 no. I told Patty, don't die on me. I'm highly trained. You know, it would be so hard to be retrained. You know, some of you can appreciate that. <laughs> a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always, and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? See, he's challenging them. Be satisfied with what you have. The ultimate motivation for being faithful to our spouse, the fear of the Lord, which is what? Wisdom. See, we're back to this wisdom thing. Look at verse, God is, first of all, God is watching over our lives. How many know that's true? He sees everything. He even knows your thoughts. Now, Satan can give you thoughts, but he doesn't know them. God knows your thoughts. He knows when we're deviating off of wisdom's path, choosing folly, which leads to punishment and ultimate destruction if we don't repent and return to the Lord. Verse 21, for your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them, so wickedness always ensnares us. The cords of their sins hold them fast. Do you know sin is a bondage? Sin is an addiction. See, we are just relabeling things in our culture today. We give them nice titles, addiction. I could just say it's sin. And that's what sin does. It enslaves. It puts you in an addictive state. You can't get free anymore. Wow, it's powerful. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. Because God sees all of our behavior, we can be assured that if we sin, it is not if we will be punished, but when we will be punished. So why doesn't God punish us right away? Long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, right? Dr. Lawman points out 
you know, the nature of sin is that it captures us until we don't care anymore, and then we're in a dangerous place. You know, God is watching. So the punishment of the ultimate death are not a matter of chance but certainty. The implication is that no matter what particular form the punishment may take, God will assure that it will happen. It's true. So the passage that we've been exploring today moves us beyond just human relationship. Listen to how this is going to apply to all of us. The relationship between the son and the wife of his youth reflects the relationship that the father wants him to develop between develop with woman wisdom, okay? He wants us to have intimacy with wisdom. You know, on the other hand, the father wants him to avoid the stranger foreign women in the way he wants him to avoid woman folly. Throughout the Bible, the marriage metaphor is used for our relationship with God. The common point of reference is that they're the only two mutually exclusive relationships that human beings enjoy. One has more than one parent. They may have numerous children, friends, and so forth, but only one spouse and one God. That union is a metaphor of our relationship with God. So when Israel sinned against God, God didn't just say, you've worshiped other gods, you've committed idolatry. God said, you've been a harlot, you've committed adultery. That's how strong it is in the mind of God. Now, how many recognize that there's a tragedy to this situation here in the book of Proverbs? Because the man who probably wrote this didn't listen to his own advice. How many say that's sad? You know, Solomon was a wise person. He was young. God revealed himself to him, gave him an amazing amount of wisdom. He gave us these Proverbs. He even gave us this level of the Proverbs, and yet he himself succumbed. You know, I I listen to what Paul says. You know, watch your life and doctrine closely, Timothy. Then he goes on to say, you know, I beat my body under subjection, lest having preached to others, I myself find myself being a castaway. What a challenging remark. You know, I can't just preach these sermons to you. I have to come to me first and say, hey, what are you doing? First sermon starts here, right? That's where it belongs. Am I doing what this word says? And this is a challenging statement because look at Solomon. He messed up. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. And we know that most of these marriages were political, politically driven, And yet we read on, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Moabites, who, by the way, offered up their children in human sacrifice. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. So God, the Lord, became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. What does this tell you? Not one of us is above. You can even know the truth and still turn away from it. So is there any hope? What happens if I've already messed up, Pastor? What happens if I'm in an adulterous relationship? How about the woman who's caught in adultery? What does Jesus say to her? This is what we need to hear. You remember, Jesus is actually God in the flesh. The woman is actually caught. And here's what Jesus, he said to them, okay, first person without a sin, throw the first stone. Of course, nobody threw a stone. Jesus straightens up. He says to the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. I want you to know right now, God is not here to condemn us. We need to hear this. He came into the world not to condemn, but to save us. Okay? Listen to what he says. Neither do I condemn you. But then he says this. Go now and leave your life of sin. So what is he doing? He's neither condemning her, nor is he condoning her. But he's granting her forgiveness and a challenge for a new beginning, free from sin. Can I just say this? We all need new beginnings from sin. Isn't that true? I'm gonna stand stand this morning as we close. You know, you say, well, yeah, pastor, I'm not in a 
physical act of adultery right now. Maybe that's not where you're at. You know, Jesus did something interesting. If you have a desire in your heart, you've committed adultery. It's a little more difficult than we realize. It's about having the right heart and mind attitude. You know, and we can justify it. You know, my spouse doesn't understand where I'm at. And I finally found a person who understands me and my spouse is maybe abusive or they're, you know, addicted to chemicals and I'm finding solace and understanding in another place. We can have all kinds of rationale. Can I just say this? That another person's sin towards me does not justify my sin back towards them. You don't overcome evil by doing evil. You only come overcome evil by doing good. You and I have to make a decision. I choose to love my spouse unconditionally. Now, I've been challenged by these verses. Husbands, don't be bitter towards your wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah, but what happens when, you know, we're not getting along right now? Maybe there's a difference of an opinion. You know, maybe I don't feel like I'm being understood right now. That's when I'm challenged to live like Jesus and love this person and accept them and affirm them and encourage them. Isn't that true? Of course it is. And just with every head bowed today, I'm not here to embarrass or shame any one of you. But I'm going to make it a very broad altar call. So if you are even in the very physical act of adultery, I won't even know. But you could say to me, Pastor, today I recognize that my heart and loyalty isn't primarily to Christ. There's other things in my life I could be putting my business. You know, I was guilty of committing adultery. Not physical cheating on Patty. But you know what? I was cheating on her in one way. I had put the ministry ahead of my marriage. I did that. And it was wrong. And it cost me. You know, God had to humble me and break me and show me the ministry was a God that I was putting above him and above my wife. I'm being transparent now. God had to deal with me. And, I, and, and at the end, I realized, you know what? I, God, I'm so sorry. I got to the stage where ministry wasn't that important to me anymore. I realized, it, you know, it, it can promise a lot. You know, these, these seductive women or seductive guys can promise a lot. But in the end, it's bitter and it's painful and it's destructive. And I had to ask God to forgive me. And I came to the place when I was in Atlanta in 1996. I just said, Lord, I will be faithful to you and you alone. If you ask me to preach to one person and that's the congregation I have, I'll be preaching like Noah to a handful of people. That's fine with me. Because ministry is no longer going to be my mistress. I'm laying it down. That was a very defining moment in my life. And you know what? When we make those decisions, I can look back to that moment in my life and know that I laid it down. And from that point on, you know, it's been great. Our church is doing better than it's ever done. And, you know, it's amazing. But I, I, it's not that I'm, it's not about my ego or my strokes anymore. It's just about being a faithful servant of God. And if tomorrow he says, you're done with this ministry, I'll go, fine. Because I want to please you. I want to please you in how I treat my wife, Patty. I want to please you in how I treat my children and my grandchildren. I want to leave a legacy for you, my church family. I want to be pure and holy and godly so that, you know what, you can never use me as an excuse while you're sinning. I prayed. I said, Lord, help me not to be a stumbling block but a stepping stone. I don't want anybody to be impeded in their walk with you because of something I've done. That's my prayer. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, there's things impeding my walk with God right now. Just raise your hand. That's you. There's things in your life that are impeding your walk with God. It could be, you know, your thought life is wrong. Maybe some of you are struggling with pornography. Maybe some of you are, you know, on chat lines. Maybe some of you are in a physical relationship with somebody. You need to end it, my friend. It needs to come to an end. You need to do everything you can to establish a healthy relationship with God and with your family. Because your life, you're not an island, folks. We affect people around us. We affect all those people around us. You know, generations are going to look back on our lives. You don't know that, but it's true. You know, 
I look at some of these people in history and I read about their lives and some of them are a mess. And yet there's some of them that live an exemplary life and I go, Lord, help me to live an exemplary life. Help me to finish well. Help me not to be a Solomon. Help me not to fall like a David. Help me to run like a Joseph. Amen? Help me to set healthy boundaries right now in my life. And so we're, we're restructuring our souls right now. This is a, a little moment in time where we're, we're recalibrating our lives. And I know sometimes it's difficult when we're trying to recalibrate. We have to, we have to walk out what we've just done today. But let's just make a fresh surrender to Jesus. Let's just receive his forgiveness this morning and say, Lord, not only would you forgive me, would you empower me to live a holy and a righteous life? And may my life be such a, a joy and a delight to you. And I'm honoring and glorifying you in such a way that people will come to know you because of my life. That's my prayer. Join me in it. So let's just lift our hands to God and let's make a fresh consecration today. Say, Lord, would you by your grace give me renewal in my heart and mind and I'm gonna embrace your standards because your way is higher than my way. Your thoughts are beyond my thoughts. You are a holy God and you create boundaries in our lives for our well-being. Lord, you have an amazing future for us, amazing gifts for us, an amazing blessing to come our way. But Lord, help us not to default on what you want to bring into our lives. Lord, would you forgive us where we have failed in the past? Lord, would you forgive us, Lord, where we have deviated from the path? And Lord, if someone has violated us or abused us or maybe has betrayed us right now, Lord, we don't want to live in judgment any longer because we know that there's not one person that's going to be left unpunished. It may not always come in the moment. It may not always come in this life, but we know that you're a God who is going to address every unseen sin. You're going to address it all. And I just entrust that person to your grace. Help me to walk in grace and forgiveness because I need forgiveness too. And I receive your forgiveness today and I'm releasing those that maybe I've sinned against. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.